All right. I invite you to turn in the Word of God to uh, Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew uh, chapter 1 and 2 is where we're going to be over the next few weeks. And it's going to be, uh, we're going to be kind of looking at uh, the story of the birth of Jesus uh, from Matthew's perspective. Uh, if, you, if you were with us a year ago, and some of you weren't, but a year ago, uh, I actually did a, uh, through the month of December, did a, a story called Chosen. And it was uh, looking into the life of Mary, the mother of Joseph, uh, mother of Jesus, not Joseph, but of Jesus. And it was a story about her life and how she embraced all of that. And today, um, we're going to be looking at things a little bit different. Uh, because Luke records that story pretty much in Mary's life. And so we're, we're turning to Matthew, and we're going to see the story of the birth of Jesus from Joseph's perspective. And so it's going to be pretty enlightening to see that. Not a lot of people have ever even written about this. When I went to begin studying uh, for material to find out about it, there's not much out there. In fact, I sent a message uh, to Phil Tuttle and said, Hey, man, uh, you did Chosen last year on Mary. Uh, what do you have for Joseph? And I hadn't heard back from him yet, so I guess he doesn't have anything. But before we get started on this, uh, this incredible story, I want to share something with you. Remember last Sunday, uh, I, I shared about the story of where the two blind men uh, came and they cried out to Jesus. And they remember the words that they said to Jesus. They said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Remember that text last week? And Jesus um, asked them, do you believe I can do this? And they, they responded affirmatively. They said, yes, we believe you can. And then remember what happened. Jesus touched their eyes. And then he said to them, let it be done to you according to your faith. And then it said they, they were healed. And they went away rejoicing. Then he sternly warned them not to tell anyone. <laughs> and, but then they went all over the countryside telling everybody uh, what had happened. Well, uh, that was last Sunday's message. And you know, that's, that phrase, Son of David, is important because that's what we're going to be looking at a lot today. And really, this title of this series could be called Jesus, Son of David because we're going to see how important, where does Joseph fit into all of that. And, but before I get into that, uh, I wanted to tell you this because it relates to last Sunday's message. And that was this past week, um, um, and Jessica, she sings at the University of Georgia in the Wesley. The Wesley group meets over there on a weekly basis. In fact, they had their last gathering. Some of our girls have gone to Wesley before. And they were in the big Tate Center over at UGA. And some of y'all know where that building is. Well, that room will hold a lot of people, <laughs> the Tate Center will. And there was probably a thousand college kids there. And so, you know, Angie and I, we don't look like your typical college kids, okay? So here we come walking in, and, um, and we were coming to, Jessica was going to be singing a couple of songs, and she was singing that, the, the beautiful name song that we do, and we love that. So I, kept, I was like, i got to go here and sing that one. And so we come walking in, and, and they have their greeters, just like we have ours. But then there was this one guy. He just came up just so bubbly and was like, hey, y'all, is this your first time here? 
And we were like, no, we've been here a few times before, but he, he was just all excited. And then he, he just came to me and he said, listen, man, you will not believe what God is doing. He said, man, God is healing all kinds of people. And we got there, it started at 8, but of course we got there at 7.15. Well, they were having a worship and prayer time and during that time. And it lasted for several, for 40-something more minutes until the, they came out. But he was just sharing with me and he was like, yeah, man, there was a guy who had a torn ACL and he got healed. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, okay. Torn ACL got healed, yeah, right. And then he was telling me some other things. And so he just kind of, we went and got our seat, and he just kind of walked on off. And I watched him, and I saw him go up and pray with other people, and I saw him hugging on other people. And I was like, you know, that guy, he's fired up about the Lord, and that's pretty cool. Well, we get into the, the worship time, and, and over there, the worship set we stood, and I think they did 10 songs. Well, if you average three, four minutes a song, you're looking at 30, 40 minutes of standing. And so that's what we were about halfway into their, the worship segment. And I was standing there, and, you know, I'm worshiping, and I'm praising the Lord, enjoying that, that moment. With, and these kids are worshiping the Lord, and it's wonderful. And all of a sudden, my left knee that had been hurting for months and weeks and y'all know inside my left knee I went to the doctors it's bone on bone and doctors I've seen the x-rays of it bone on bone well I was standing there worshiping I might have been I'm swaying you know I'm not one that stands still I'm swaying and I got my eyes closed I'm making sure I don't fall over but you know but I'm swaying a little bit and all of a sudden my left knee just twisted without me doing it it just twisted and popped and I turned to Angie, and I said, you're not going to believe this, but something just happened to my left knee, and there is no more pain right now. And she looked at me, and she's just in her wonderful worship mode, and she looked at me, and she said, sounds like healing to me. <laughs> and I was like, hmm. Let it be done to you according to your faith. You know, I'm, I'm one of those that's always been, you know, Lord, I know you can do it. It's not a question of if you can do it. I know you got the power. I know you can, you know, I know it might be bone on bone, but if the man, that, the God who spoke the universe into being with a spoken word can speak some cartilage in between some bone and, and make the pain go away. I know he can do it, but I didn't know he was going to do it to me in that moment at that time. Since Wednesday night, my left knee has not hurt. Now, it's still a little stiff, but I have not felt any pain on the inside of where that bone on bone is. And how can I explain that? How do you explain that? You know, I slept that whole night, not hardly wanting to move it. I was, I was like, if I twist the wrong way or turn the wrong way in this bed, it's going to pop and it's going to start hurting again. That was how I kind of thought through the night. But guess what? Since then, and I've done a lot of walking and stuff since then, but the pain has not come back. So I, I only want to say this. 
I thank God. I didn't ask for that, but I thank God for that. And I know, I told that, and I began to tell that story. You can't be quiet when something like, when you've been in pain, <laughs> you can't be quiet when the pain goes away. You know what I'm saying? You've got to tell somebody. And so I started telling and I called John Bell on Thursday, and I told him, and he's like, man, you have got to tell the church that story on Sunday morning. And we spent 30 minutes talking about, you know, his, what he's going through and everything. And then just thinking about, you know, Livy and everything going on there and Shanine and others and, and Bruce. And, you know, I was just thinking about all that. But then the Lord just began to show me, if I can speak the worlds into being, can't you trust me? Do you believe that I can do this? And I said, Lord, I have, I have faith. Help my unbelief. I, that's where I went to was that scripture. Help my unbelief. But you know what? God can. And in fact, the, as we were getting ready to leave, the boy that had greeted me coming in, he came walking by. and I almost didn't say anything to him. But I, I pulled him over and I said, listen, let me tell you what happened to me tonight. And he was like, oh, man, yes. He said, I told you, man, God's doing these kind of things in this place. And so, listen, if they're not meeting this coming Wednesday over there in Athens. But, but hey, listen, if they were, if I were, I would, might want to go, you know, to the Tate Center on Wednesday if you, if you got something to trust the Lord with. But anyway, I, I, that's just something I had to share, you know, before. Because God didn't tell me to be quiet about it. Uh, if he had, it, it would be hard, but I wanted to share that with you. Okay, so what are we looking at here today? What are we looking at? Joseph, a carpenter. Who really is this Joseph? And why is it important that um, he gets to have Jesus in the household? What is the significance of of Joseph being a son of David. If you notice, uh, how many people are into their ancestry? Anybody in the room uh, kind of check your ancestry? Okay, we got a few, a few. Some of you are not real proud to, you know, of it. You just kind of, okay. But, but, you know, some of you are going, I don't want to know who my kinfolks are, you know. I, I don't even want to be around my kinfolks. But, you know, it's kind of amazing. I see these commercials on TV. And this person says, well, I thought I was this. And then I got my DNA tested, and I came back, and it's a, a circle graph, and it's got all these different things in it in the bloodline. Well, what we're going to see here is, pretty, is something pretty significant in Joseph's life, the one uh, that was given this great responsibility. It gives the, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of, notice it says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So what, what um, Matthew does is Matthew records the genealogy of Jesus through Abraham. And he does it on a descending order. But notice what he says here. He calls him this title, son of David. And this is very important because if... You'll look and you'll see the, the storyline, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But notice, you know, Jacob had how many? He had 12 sons. But notice who's in the line, Judah. And that's significant because what? He's the, he's the lion of Judah. 
So he keeps showing the kingly line that's going to come down. But then he gets down here, and if you notice in verse 6 of Matthew 1, he says, Jesse was the father of David the king. So we get to this point. The, we know the first king in Israel was whom? It was Saul. Remember, the people wanted a king. And they, they were like, give us a king. And so they chose Saul, a, a man that was head and shoulders above everyone else. But when God chose the king, remember, he went to the sons of Jesse, and he went and he sent a, his prophet over there to, to find him. And he went through and he saw the first one, the oldest, said, surely this is the one. Well, he wasn't. And then he went right on down the list, and then he said, well, who do you, do you have anybody else? Yeah, we got one, but he's out there in the field taking care of a few sheep. His name is David. Bring him in. Well, as soon as he saw him, he's the one. And then we get that wonderful passage where it says, God does not look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so David becomes the king of Israel. So it's very important that this line is, is followed. And it goes and he gives the genealogy through David. And then he picks up with Solomon. And, and David had several uh, uh, sons, but Solomon was one of them. And Solomon became the king that followed in the line of David. And then it takes the line all the way down to where the, uh, the nation of Israel was deported into Babylon. And then they pick up the line from when they came back from Babylon into the time that we get right down here to verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. And then verse 17 gives us 14 generations from Abraham over here. You know it says to David. And then 14 from David to the deportation of the, to Babylon. And then from the deportation to Babylon all the way to Jesus, 14. So he's given some numbers and significance. Now what's important is that Matthew is recording something very important by Jesus being the son of David and Joseph being a son of David is very significant because it is a royal line. Now Joseph was never biologically the father of Jesus by no means. We're going to get to that in just a minute. So what was Joseph the carpenter? What was his responsibility? Why was his ancestry so important? Because he flows from the line of David, the royal line. That's why he is, in essence, this gives Jesus the right to be the, even though Joseph was not the biological father, he was the legal father. To, Joseph, to, to Jesus. So this gives Jesus on the royal line the rights and the privilege of being called a son of David. Now that's significant, y'all. That's very significant. I'm going to show you even, and this is a good, good one to know. Um, when you look up things and you find out something, that you go, that's a nugget right there, man. That's a nugget of gold. Well, if you go over to to the Gospel of Luke that shows Mary and her line, the line that the genealogist recorded in Luke. 
Guess what? When it gets to David, it records not Solomon. It records Nathan was the son of David. And why is that significant? Because that line flows down to none other than Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now that's important. But this line comes through Solomon, the one who has the rightful heir of being king of Israel. So the royal line. Some of you are probably sitting there going, man, you know what? I've been in church all my life. Never knew that. Well, that's a fact. That's, you know, I like to give you facts. I love facts. But see, facts like this give us support that show us some very important things that build our faith. So when we get to this, this storyline that's going to happen in Joseph's life, I just wanted you to see the, the genealogy, the history that's behind this. Because it's very significant that Jesus is of the royal line that descended from son of David. We're going to pick up in the birth of Jesus and, and see how Joseph's part had a part to play in this. Follow me, verse 18 of chapter 1. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, notice what he called him, son of who? Son of who? David. Oh, he didn't notice. Why didn't he go back and say, Joseph, son of Abraham? He didn't. Because he goes back to whom? The king, Joseph, because it goes back to what? Verse 6 says, the father of David, the king, the royal line is being established. So he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay. Now, you've probably heard that story, read that story many times. But have you, have you thought of that story from the, from the viewpoint and the perspective of Joseph and only Joseph in here? Okay, have you ever really looked at it from his point of view, his perspective? All right, Joseph, according to this text, he is betrothed. You know, and that's not a word that we use a lot uh, these days, do we? So-and-so is betrothed. Well, Angie, uh, this morning, she was um, there going in the closet. She had a bunch of the old materials um, that we had back dating back to when we got married and she was flipping through there trying to find it and she said I know it I know it's in the paper 
that uh, McCall is betrothed to Peavy. And I was like, are you kidding me? That was in the mid-80s, okay? Now, I know we're a little older than some of you and not as old as some of you, but most of you were older then. But I was like, you mean it, they actually put that in the Buena Vista paper down there, betrothed? And she said, yes, it was in there. Now, this is a term. There was two phases to a Jewish marriage. And, and some of you younger ones back here, check this out. Most of y'all Mary, their guessing was 14 to 15, 16 years old when she was betrothed to Joseph. We don't know how old Joseph was. The Bible doesn't tell us. Some speculate he was in his late teens. Some say 20s, even up to 30. We don't know. And I know some of y'all are going thinking, oh, if I was 14, 15, I wouldn't be wanting to be engaged to a 30-year-old man. Okay, uh-uh. I saw some of them shaking their head to that higher number. But here's the deal. You didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice. You see, your parents were the one that made the arrangement. And it was solidified. In other words, you mean I don't get to pick who I want to marry? No, not then they didn't. That was their custom. And, you know, some parents are going, I wish I could do that these days, okay? I wish we had that. You know, I wish I, I don't want, I wouldn't want to do that personally because my child would always hold that over my head if I made a mistake. And so I wouldn't want to be responsible for that. But in this day and time, a betrothal was more than an engagement. It, was, it meant that you, in the eyes of the society, you were considered to be husband and wife, even though there was no contact sexually at that point. This was to be your mate. But you weren't, you weren't living together. You weren't touching one another. You weren't going there, okay? So this is the case that's going on. So can you only imagine, now guys in the room, can you only imagine that this is your one that you're supposed to be married to, and then you get the word that she's pregnant, okay? And you know you're not the daddy, Okay, because you hadn't been with her. I'm not your daddy. I'm not the daddy. So you're sitting over there thinking, I wonder who this is. I wonder who's gotten to Mary. Is it so-and-so over here? Is it so-and-so over there? Who has gotten to her? And so Joseph, put yourself in his, in his shoes, fellas in the room. Put yourself in his shoes. What would you do? Well, we know what this Joseph did. I don't know what, we, what you might have done, but we know what this Joseph did. It said that Joseph being, and here's the key, being a righteous man, he wanted to do the right thing. Because what was the penalty for a woman who had had relations with a person and was pregnant out of, out of that out of that time, that in that phase, in that period they were in, the penalty for her was to be stoned to death. You go back to the Old Testament law. And so Joseph didn't want that to happen. And Joseph was caught there being a righteous man. He, he came to this decision. He wanted to, he decided, it said, after he thought about it, I'm going to put her away secretly. 
Now, to put her away secretly is the same word that we get divorce. Because you might be thinking, well, engaged people don't have to get divorced. Now, when, a, when you were betrothed to someone, that was legally binding. So in order to get out of it, you had to be divorced from that person to get out of that legal contract in that day and time. Okay? I know people that get engaged and then they don't get married and they don't, they don't, nothing ever goes through the court of law. Nobody ever comes and sees the probate judge over here and to get that marriage license and all that. They don't have to deal with Miss, Miss Brown over here. But I know the ones that I do the weddings for and then they get their marriage license, they have to come through there. Okay? So he was wanting to do the right thing by her and, and then check this out. He has a reputation too. And he's considered a righteous man. Now, what does that, when you think of that word righteous, what, is, what do you think about when you hear that word righteous? Hmm. Good man? This word righteous is from a standpoint that, well, what, how is he righteous? Because the Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one, in Romans chapter 3. So how is he considered a righteous man? It's because he is in right standing with God. Therefore, that makes Joseph, this carpenter, a righteous man. He's not a perfect man. <laughs> there is not one. And all the women in this room say amen to that, brother. He's not a perfect one. But he was in right standing with God. And so he was a righteous man. I was, um, went down south to spend a little time with mom and dad uh, on Friday. And Friday night I was at a catfish place, a restaurant in, in uh, Cordell, Georgia. Little old strip mall thing. And I was there with my cousin and he eats there regular so everybody knew him and they were all talking to him. Well there was a guy next door in the table next door that started talking, getting in on our conversation. They started talking, and next thing came up was, was about a guy that I knew in church, uh, grew up with him, and he's a banker down there in Dooley County. His name's Neil Joyner, and he's a president of a bank. And this fellow said, you know what? His mama, Miss Margaret, she taught me Sunday school when I was a little boy, and good family, but Neil was one of those, and he said this. He said, you know what? He said, Anybody ever ask you about Neil Jordan, if they ever say anything bad about Neil Jordan, you can count on their lying. And he said, you know how I know? He said, because that guy, man, he, he's just, he's one of the best fellows I know of. And as I was hearing him tell that, and I'm studying this story for this week, I'm going, okay, Neil Jordan, He's got a reputation down there in that community as being a righteous man. And then it made me think, okay, well, Neil doesn't even know that conversation happened in that restaurant on Friday night. But guess what? What kind of conversations are going on on Friday nights in restaurants about you? What kind of reputation do you have? that people would say, hey, man, that person, if they're saying something bad about that person, I know they're lying because I know them. Man, that is a righteous person. Hmm. Mate, that's a good thought to think about. All that happened. 
Joseph was a righteous man. He wanted to do the right thing. And the right thing was to put her away secretly, he thought. So he was going to do that. And then guess what happens? It said that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And then the angel said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so, wow. So Joseph obviously had some fear and doubts going into this. And so the angel comes to him. And, and here's what we're going to discover over these next few weeks. There's three different encounters that Joseph has. And every one of them involves an angel. This is just the first of them. And every one of them is a fulfillment of Scripture. This happened according to fulfill this. So I think it's pretty significant that we get the first one, and it's all about the birth. And this angel says, Son of David, do not be afraid. For this child that has been conceived in her is there because of God, the Holy Spirit. And wow. And then he goes on and says, right here in this, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Notice that. That's an important thing. Who, who's going to name this baby? Mary? Uh-uh. Who's naming the baby? Joseph, son of David, is naming the baby. Now, how many of you men in the room, you're the one that picked out the name of your children? How many of you, your, your spouse did it? How many of you, nobody knew what that baby was going to be named. You just looked at him and said, that looks like old Hezekiah over there. Did anybody do that? Just wait to see what they look like, and then we'll pick a name for him. Well, he looks a little hairy. Let's call him Harry. Is that what they did to you, Brother Harry? No. <laughs> he looks a little fuzzy. Let's call him Fuzzy. Yeah. Well, anyway, Joseph was given the assignment. And notice the angel says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And then next, you're going you're to be the one who names this baby. And it says this, you're going to name him Jesus, which the word Jesus means Jehovah saves. It's the word Joshua, which is all about salvation. You're going to be calling him Jesus, Jehovah saves, for he will save his people from their sin. That's significant in what the name means. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the, by the Lord through the prophet. And then he quotes here. He's quoting Isaiah 7, 14, and then Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So not only is he saying this is going to be a baby named Jesus, this is supernatural this is God with us and this is being fulfilling a prophecy that this girl a virgin is going to give birth to a son and we're going to call his name Jesus but it's going to be actually God with us whoo now Joseph's got a lot he's hearing here and taking in and so 
The one thing that we find out that Joseph, and, and this is what I love about this story most of all, is that it doesn't give us a lot of details, but we know this. Joseph obeyed. Joseph did what the angel of the Lord said to do. And Joseph obeyed God. Do you know uh, the scripture says God desires obedience more than he does sacrifice? That's a good teaching point for today if you want to write that one down. But it's obedience. And that's the one common denominator that I've seen throughout this whole story of the life of Joseph. He obeyed God. Do you know the scripture says, He who loves me will keep my commandments. The one who loves God is going to do what he says. That's obedience. Well, Joseph was given this. And then it says in verse 24, Woo! Joseph woke up from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And what did he do? He did three things. And you can write these down. First of all, he took Mary as his wife. He went ahead, even though he was betrothed to her, it usually was a period of a year that went by. A time frame of one year would take place but between the betrothal and the actual wedding uh, ceremony. He went ahead and he took her as his wife. In other words, they got married. And the marriage was solidified, it was legal at that point. So he took her as his wife. But here's what's significant in the second one that he obeyed. It says here, he kept her a virgin until she gave birth. Now, man, she's legally his wife now. You know, and most people on the night that they get married, they go off on their honeymoon. And you know, most of the guys, that's all they're thinking about anyway. It's, I've seen them at the, I've stood before them and done, officiated the wedding, and most of them are like, let's get through with this preacher so we can get on down the road. That's what most of them are thinking, all right? Let's get on through this thing. Well, Joseph did something very significant here. He kept her a virgin until she gave birth. Why is that significant? Because the prophecy, y'all, is being fulfilled. It says a virgin will give birth. And so listen, if you see how significant Joseph is in this picture now? Joseph could have said, whoa, 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 it's my right. I have a right to, okay, Mary, come on. Let's, let's come on over here. I have a right to now. But he didn't choose that. He kept her that way to fulfill the prophecy. That's obedience, y'all. And then the final one was this. It said that he called his name Jesus. He was given an assignment. Take her as a wife, keep her as a virgin, and call him Jesus. And guess what? He obeyed in all three situations. You, well, you might be thinking, well, what does Joseph's obedience have to do with it? You know, Angie was telling me about these, these people that adopt children. And, uh, and she said what they do, and they show pictures of the families with adopted children. And it's a beautiful thing. 
And the hashtag, put this up, Caleb, the hashtag is, I could have, I could have missed this. It's hashtag, I could have missed this if I hadn't adopted this child. And it just showed some powerful and precious memories and, and, and encounters that this family was having. And it, it was hashtag, I could have missed this. And it made me think about if Joseph had not obeyed God in, in this dream that he'd received from this angel and listened and obeyed, what was his role? I could have missed this. I could have missed out on this. But let me, let me um, ask you this question. Men, how many of you got to be in the delivery room uh, with your wife? Okay, and I, that was amazing. I'm so glad I got to do that. Amazing that I got to do it. Who was in the delivery room with Mary? Who was there? Well, we know it was meh, meh, a few of them were around. But there was only one that the Bible tells us that was in the delivery room. And guess what? That carpenter by trade was the very first one as Jesus was born that night was the very first one of human hands to touch the Son of David, the Son of God, God in the flesh. This is Jesus. Does that make you have chills? Just thinking about that? Here was Joseph, a carpenter, and he's the first one to hold God in the flesh. Yeah, Mary did carry him for nine months, but Joseph was there when that boy was delivered. And then he hands her to hands him to her, and they wrapped him and swallowed him up tight like babies like to be done, and they laid him in a feed trough. Wow. So you don't think Joseph's got an important role? <laughs> think again. His obedience has made a difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you from your description.